We're very excited for our guest today, Scott Wilgris. Scott Wilgris is the lead strength and conditioning slash physiology specialist at the Canadian Sports Centre Atlantic in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Uh, Scott has been working as a strength and conditioning coach and exercise physiologist there since 2011. Scott has worked with elite athletes in many sports, including hockey, canoe, kayak, snowboarding, cycling, boxing, and many more. In addition to his role at the Canadian Sports Centre Atlantic, Scott also teaches a course at Dalhousie University, which brings an applied look at sports science for elite athletes to the students through mentorship programs, research ideas and supervision, as well as in-class instruction. Prior to moving to Halifax, he was a strength and conditioning consultant at the Canadian Sport Institute Calgary from 2007 to 2010. He currently works with women's softball, women's artistic gymnastics, and women's kayak. Without further ado, here's my interview with Scott Wilgris. Scott, pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you for that great intro and thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, we appreciate you taking the time to uh, discuss what you do with us. Um, so you've been working in high performance now for over a decade with many different sports. I'd like to talk to you a bit about how, you know, these sports differ from team sports to individual Olympic sports and uh, a bit about decentralization and some of the monitoring and training tools you use with your athletes. Absolutely. Sounds good. Great. So, um one thing, uh, I know you tend to work with gymnasts. Uh, I feel like strength and conditioning is something relatively new to gymnastics. Would you say that's the case? I would say that is the case for sure. I mean, if you look back in some of the older literature from the American um, Institute with a, a guy like William Sands out of Utah, he, he had done some research uh, back in kind of the late 80s and early 90s and continued on. Um, but it was it was very minimal and uh, there hasn't been a ton. It hasn't really been adopted by that sport, um, particularly uh, women's artistic gymnastics um, up until recently. Yeah. So it, do you find that a bit of a challenge uh, kind of introducing it to that population, getting them to buy in? Yeah, 100 percent. It's been a, it's been a challenge uh, for sure. I mean, I was really lucky where I kind of lucked into uh, a relationship or a, a professional relationship with an athlete uh, here in Halifax uh, when she was quite um, new to the sport herself. Uh, I'm talking about uh, Ellie Black, who's a, now a two-time Olympian um, on the national women's team. Um, we started working together back in 2012, just before the London Olympics, um, and then continued through the Rio quad, and now we're, we're heading into the, uh, the Tokyo quad. And I think that uh, my work with Ellie, uh, you know, even though it took six years of the rest of the the national team and the uh, other coaches on the um, on with, with national team athletes uh, to, to kind of notice what we were doing, seeing Ellie progressing, seeing Ellie being able to stay in the sport for a long period of time um, until, you know, some more of them started to ask questions about, hey, what do you do? What are you doing when you're uh, in the weight room and what are you doing uh, there and why do you do that and what do you guys do? Um, and I think uh, once that those questions started um, coming, uh, the ball started rolling and we were able to get a lot uh, 
a lot more buy-in from from a few different national team coaches and uh, and athletes. So now I'm working uh, along along with Ellie. I'm I'm programming from a from a distance uh, for uh, four or five um, of the of the kind of senior national women's uh, athletes, and I'm also um, attending national team camps to uh, carry out physical a physical test battery um, that we're kind of working on uh, uh, with that sport. That's great. So uh, just for our listeners, uh, you mentioned working this quad leading to Tokyo. Do you want to just explain what a quad is? <laughs> yeah, good, good, good point. So when we're talking about Olympic uh, sports, we often uh, talk about the kind of the biggest chunk of time that we would think about other than an athlete's complete career uh, is a quadrennial. So a four year cycle uh, leading into each uh, of the Olympics. Great. Uh, so you touched on you know, as you start to build buy-in from Ellie and people saw the results, they start asking you the what, how, why. Um, so I'd like to discuss that a little bit further. Uh, so one thing as, you know, as a strength coach and physiologist, you look for key performance indicators in any sport you're working with. So what are some of the uh, KPIs in gymnastics? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, starting off, I think one of the things that um, the questions I get asked all the time when uh, when talking about gymnasts is, you know, you must do a lot of uh, a lot of core and a lot of um, you know high rep uh, endurance type stuff because they've got to be um, very very strong in their core and they've got to do a lot of high reps. Well, you know, they do that six times a day, six times a week, four hours a day, all year basically in the gymnastics setting. So what I have tried to do the the, the approach I've taken with uh, with working with Ellie and these and these other gymnasts is. Uh, to give them uh, a stimulus that they're not used to. So, you know, one of the key performance indicators that I've I've found and I've I've chased with with these guys is actually strength. And for the women, it's lower body strength, particularly um, for the for the men, which I don't work with. That might be a little bit more of the upper body strength. But um, so maximal strength is one of those key performance indicators that we look at. Um, in the current national team test battery, we're actually using a test that some of the listeners might be familiar with. Uh, it's called an isometric mid thigh pull. Uh, which is a um, an isometric test, so a test where you're actually not uh, moving. You're just applying force um, in a static position to the ground uh, as measured by force plates. Um, and that's a, giving us a good idea of how, how strong these athletes actually are. That's great. So you talked about how some of the KPIs may differ from women to men, how men may be a bit more upper body strength is necessary, whereas women may need a little bit more lower body strength. Uh, what are some other differences you find between your male and female athletes throughout different sports? Um, well, to be honest, it's kind of funny. I, I haven't worked with uh, with an uh, international level uh, male athlete since um, since 2016 when I started working with uh, softball. So that is a very good question, but I don't know if I have the answer to it right now. All right. Um, <laughs> So some of the other sports, as I mentioned in your intro, that you work with is uh, softball and women's kayak. Uh, so how do the KPIs differ in a sport like, uh, say, women's kayak from gymnastics? And then uh, what other monitoring tools do you use to uh, see if you're affecting change in those KPIs? Right. So with... Uh... To, to kind of elaborate a little bit more on the KPIs with women's gymnastics, the other two kind of main ones that we've uh, that we've seen are um, actually maximal speed, so running speed, which 
uh, with a little bit of a study that uh, a colleague of mine at the INS or the, the Quebec um, Institute, uh, Corey Kennedy um, and myself uh, carried out over the last year with some, with the national team. We looked at speed and its relationship with um, with all of the different apparatuses involved with uh, women's gymnastics. And we found a very high relationship between uh, running speed as measured by a 20 meter sprint with timing gates and, uh, and actually vault and floor performance. Uh, so that's uh, speed is a one is another one of those KPIs for women's gymnastics. Um, and then the final one is actually repeat jump ability. So the ability to um, jump fast and jump high over a period of, of a minute. Um, so how, how high can you jump and how well can you maintain that height as well as how quickly can you contact the ground and um, how quickly can, or how can you maintain that, which is a, a, an indic- or a, a metric that we would uh, term as an RSI or reactive strength index from repeated jumps. Um, moving to ones correlate with other sports. Um, so, you know, maximal strength, I think, is another one that correlates really, really well, um, or sorry, that transfers really, really well into into the softball and the and the kayak world. Um, it just might be slightly different. Uh, with with women's softball, we use um, a one rep max and a trap bar deadlift as our, as our maximal strength key performance indicator. And with uh, women's kayak, we actually use a combined bench press and bench pull. In case you're not uh, familiar with a bench pull, that's uh, that's like a horizontal or a prone prone row with a barbell, um, and we we add the, the, those two numbers together uh, and divide it by body weight to get a relative strength uh, number, and that's sort of one of our biggest uh, strength KPIs for women's kayak. So again, the strength um, is a key is a is a theme that's um, goes across all these sports. Um, they're just not necessarily the same test or the exact same um, part of the body depending on the sport. Hey guys, today's PDC code word is KPI. That's the letters KPI. That's great. Uh, I really appreciate your objective take on how you operate. You know, no guesswork, no bias. You're using objective numbers to quantify. Uh, training response. And I can definitely appreciate that coming from a similar background to you, you know, and having a scientifically driven mindset. Uh, Let's shift gears a little here and talk about decentralized training. I know you've worked with a lot of women's hockey players, and they're situated all throughout the country. And many of them are at schools in the States. How does that work throughout a season or a quad in terms of uh, training athletes in a decentralized model? Yeah, so that's a good question. The, uh, the, there's probably a two, or currently I'm using, I would say, a two-pronged approach to monitoring um, athletes in the decentralized environment. The first one is through um, training logs uh, and, and uh, with an athlete monitoring system. So the athlete monitoring system that I currently use uh, is one called Kinduct, uh, which is actually a, a company that's based out of Halifax, uh, which makes it really easy to, when, we have, uh, when we have issues, which is not super often, but uh, we can have a person come over right over to the center or I can pop down to their office, which is great. So again, like I said, Kinduct is, a, is an athlete monitoring system. And what I get all the athletes I work with to do is actually log their training uh, loads on within that system. I can then have a look at uh, you know how, how much training they're doing, um, what type of training they're doing, and look how that, that relates to some different factors. Uh, so to back up just quickly, uh, the main things that I get these these uh, athletes to log um, for training load is what you would call a sessional RPE. So we look at the the rating of perceived exertion, so how hard each training session that they complete is. Um, 
uh, on a one to 10 modified Borg scale. And then we would look at uh, the, the amount of time that they spend training. Uh, so in, in minutes, so it could be, it could be 60 minutes uh, with an RPE of five, and that's going to give us a training load of 300 for that session. Uh, the way that those things differ from sport to sport is uh, in, with gymnastics, actually, I've, I've started to collect apparatus by apparatus training load uh, data so that I can give their coaches feedback in terms of how each of those apparatuses, each different apparatus is trending as opposed to just the training load on a whole. I think that's a key thing um, to, to, to keep in mind because, you know, the, the effects of, of having a really high training load or a, or a big spike of training load in, in something like bars is going to be much different than, than vault. So to separate those two things, I think has been a, been a key uh, change that uh, we've recently started to look into. Um, and then from there, the second prong, I guess, after the, um, or sorry, after uh, training load is wellness. So we use a, a modified Hooper McKinnon, uh, which is a seven question uh, questionnaire to look at how the athletes are actually responding to training. So are they, are they sleeping well? Are they experiencing high muscle soreness? Are they, are they, um, you know, or how is their mood status at that time uh, on that day? Um, and from those two things, we can get a really good idea of how adaptation is occurring. You know, are they training a lot and they're feeling really, really good? You know, and if that's the case, then that's a good indicator that you can keep pushing those athletes and they can keep training harder. Whereas if they're training really hard, but they're feeling really, really bad, you know, their muscle soreness is high, they're really sleeping poorly. That's a good indication that maybe it's time for a, for a rest period for that athlete. And so just with those, um, with that tool, with a tool like Kinduct, um, and some some simple analysis, you can get a really good idea of how uh, the adaptation is occurring. Uh, and then the the next one that I've been using actually with uh, with softball is another another tool uh, called Push. Now Push is a is a, another Canadian company. They're based out of Toronto, um, and it's a it's it's an, a wearable accelerometer that uh, that the athletes wear on their wrist um, or forearm or or potentially the barbell while they're training. Uh, and you can, through an app on your phone, I can deliver programs, strength programs to, to these athletes and they can turn it on, uh, turn their, turn their app on, turn their, uh, push band on, and you can start to collect velocity data on almost every single rep that they do in the gym. Um, so that gives me a good idea of how athletes are actually performing the, the lifts that I'm asking them to do, as opposed to just seeing uh, the outcome of, in terms of a number on a, on a spreadsheet, I can see, you know, not only the, how heavy the, the load was, um, but how fast they were able to move it, which has become really, really key for us as we've gone from kind of year one into year four of this, uh, this quadrennial. Well, I think that's great that you're able to get both external and internal load monitoring, even, you know, from a distance uh, with, you know, easy practical solutions that could work if someone, no matter where someone is. Right. So I think that's really uh fantastic i mean it helps getting that objective data uh do you find that mainly your athletes are pretty good about filling that stuff out and uh and reporting those sessional rpes or has that been a bit of a challenge for you uh it's always a bit of a challenge when you first start out so i mean we're we're right now in uh year like i said year four of this uh process with the softball players and i i never have to hound anybody to uh to fill out their their questionnaires anymore uh kinduck does make it really easy where they get a text message and an email delivered to their phone every every evening <laughs> so you know it's hard to escape it 
But, you know, really the key is to actually get the buy-in from the coaches. And if the coaches ask their athletes to do these types of things, um, it's likely that they're going to do it. Uh, And that's what I found at the very beginning with the the head coach for the softball team was, you know, after one summer of traveling with the team and uh, in our morning meetings kind of saying, hey, uh, so-and-so has missed a couple days of logging. You know, he goes right down uh, before we get on the bus and says, hey, uh, you know, you got to fill out your logs. And then, you know, you never have that problem again. Um, and so now I'm, I'm kind of brand new to that situation with the uh, with the gymnastics group where I actually have, uh, I think it's seven or eight head coaches of 15 athletes that I'm that I'm trying to collect monitoring data on and then send uh, weekly reports to each of these coaches. And, you know, it's it's all about uh, just showing trying to give them little tidbits and showing how, how it can help, um, help their athletes and help them coach their athletes. Uh, and as you get the buy-in from the coach, you know, they, they'll be on the athlete and you don't have to do, uh, you don't have to be the bad guy. <laughs> um, I noticed you touched on something, uh, showing reports to the coach. Now I found, uh, personally, this has been something that's become more and more popular, uh, or important in high performance sport in recent years is learning how to present and visualize the data in an easily digestible way for, you know, people who aren't exercise physiologists and want to know what all this, what this all means. Um, what tools do you use to visualize and present your data? Is that all done through, uh, conduct in your app or do you, do you mainly Excel or do you have another, uh, um, tool you use for that? Yeah, no, that's a good, good question. I currently am still kind of, uh, I guess it's like moderately old school in the sense that I use, uh, I use Excel for most of it. So for conduct and for, um, push, I export the, uh, CSV files of the raw data, um, twice a week uh, in the off season and a little bit more frequently in the in season. Uh, and I uh, create those Excel. I, I created the templates a long time ago and it automatically populates uh, using the pivot tables. Um, and I, I get individual and group uh, feedback sheets for both of the, uh, both of the groups. Now, uh, Kinduct is actually in the, in the midst of uh, working with a company called Tableau to create much more um, uh, easily adjustable and user-friendly um feedback sheets which you know that that looks like it's right on the horizon and that's gonna be a big change a game changer for me in terms of uh, how much time i have to spend uh messing around with excel but yeah currently i'm using excel and i basically pdf or or screenshot uh these reports and send them off to the uh the coaches and the rest of the um integrated support team or ist uh, staff great um is there anything in strength conditioning or uh you know just in general for health and fitness that you have changed your mind on in the last say 12 months (laughs) uh anything that i've changed my mind on in the last 12 months i would say that the biggest thing that i've started to look into is is really the individualization of of training i guess like you know i used to be of the mindset that uh that you know, there's kind of a, a periodization scheme that's going to work for the majority of people. Um, and, and that program is, you know, you can deliver that to anybody and it's going to have results. Um, but through some of the monitoring that I've been able to do with these teams over the last few years, I've really seen that, you know, the same, the same type of training does not work the same way for everybody. And uh, I've really tried to dial into how I can, how I can quickly figure out uh, what type of training, whether that's, you know, maximal strength type training or more speed-based training, velocity-based training is going to work for, for different individuals and, and why. Um, 
And, and then I can kind of go down that road and I can try to individualize stuff uh, more and more. So, you know, for example, there's always this question about uh, how much strength is enough. Um, and with the sports that I've been working with, I've, I've started to look into, you know, how, does, how much does maximal strength transfer to speed? Right, because that's uh, generally if you're if you're in the gym and you're working with a field sport athlete and you're doing heavy lifting, unless it's American football where there actually are high high um, force contacts involved, you know you're not lifting weights to go out onto the softball field and throw or and throw a you know a seven ounce softball. So what you're what you're probably trying to do is get the, that lower body strength that you're building to transfer into speed. Uh, so you know we've. We started to look for some some cutoffs, some kind of you know, if you're this strong, you're you're good to go, and you know we don't have to worry about the barbells as much, and we'll we'll start to focus more and more on that speed, uh, and that's something that I've kind of I've I've came come to the uh, conclusion uh, over the last couple years, uh, and really changed the way that I look at it. So you know, as athletes move through their quadrennials, uh, you know, I'm trying to take away that heavy stuff um, once we hit some certain benchmarks. Fantastic. Uh, really appreciate your pragmatic approach and looking at uh, whether or not your training is affecting the change you're hoping to make. Uh, as the saying goes, uh, not everything that's measured matters and not everything uh, that matters can be measured. Are there any physical qualities that you're trying to affect change in that you cannot get objective data on at this time? Well, uh, yeah, I think there's a couple that I'm that I'm thinking about for for softball specifically that I just it's not that I can't, I just don't currently have the ability to or have the equipment. You know, we're we're really trying to look at how an athlete can dissociate their their upper body from their lower body or their shoulders from their hips to create that sort of that whip that's needed to hit the ball. You know, 250 or 300 feet to hit those hit those big home runs or hit those line drives. Um, and, and it's something that I'm, I'm trying to work on in the gym with, with things like, uh, with pulleys, uh, and with med balls and, you know, we're using a lot of slow motion video and we're trying to, trying to see it. And it's something that I, if I had a little bit more, um, more of a biomechanics lab type of a setup here that I could really start to look at. Um, but I'm not, uh, I'm not currently doing it and it's, I think it's kind of the next step of what I, what I want to be doing and, and wish I was doing. So, I mean, more broadly, it's similar with, with kayak, right? Like I can talk about how, you know, how big a bench pull I'm able to help some of these athletes achieve in terms of, you know, maximal load on the bar, but, in, or, or how fast they can pull it using a, a push, push band or a gym aware unit to, to not monitor power or velocity. But until I, a coach can like definitively tell me, yeah, they're actually moving faster in the kayak. Um, I, you know, I don't know if I've made a difference. So that's, that's one of those things that, you know, just really measuring that, uh, that the sport, the outcome of the sport, it's something that I, <laughs> I'm, I'm getting more and more into doing. I, I want to get, go further down those roads or, or helping coaches, you know, uh, find objective ways of, of confidently saying, you know, this athlete is better. And I think it's at least partially to do with some of the stuff that maybe we're doing in the gym. Great answer. Uh, you touched on how having a biomechanics lab would help integrate that. Uh, can you just explain for listeners who are interested in being part of an integrated support team for Olympic or high-performance sport, uh, how that works at the CSC Atlantic, uh, what members are part of your IST, and how do all the parts work together? Right. So the IST as a whole. Yeah. So at the, at the, in the Canadian Sport Institute network, the general idea is to have experts available uh, to sports and to athletes in a variety of different fields. 
to you know help improve performance uh, when it comes down to it. So you know you're talking to to me. I'm a strength and conditioning coach and a, and a, an exercise physiologist, I guess. Um, but there's also uh, dietitians. So you know we'll have a few dietitians on staff that can be um, contracted to sports to help looking at nutrition planning. Uh, they'll be um, usually physiotherapists that are either on staff or on contract, uh, along with massage therapy and chiropractic um, experts to to do. Um, those types of paramedical uh, pieces with athletes. And then um, the one I was kind of alluding to was more of a performance analysis type role or a biomechanics type role. And these are generally the people who have a, have a biomechanics background. They can do some uh, very specific um, testing to look at, you know, joint by joint or segment by segment um, analysis of, of an athlete's uh, per, uh, performance. Uh, those people will also usually work with uh with video so uh, like with softball we we do a lot of work with video analysis um so we use a program called dartfish where our performance analysis uh basically tags live um every pitch um that that happens so that the coaching staff and the and the and the team or the players that need to can go back and not only have a look at their bats but also look at each pitch um, that the that the opposing pitchers are throwing to other teams and to our teams to to kind of check out um, you know how people are how people are approaching each other because the the last piece uh, of uh, of the of a normal IST uh, that I would say would be the mental performance coaches so these these people are are part of the team and they're they're looking at uh, how we, how the athletes can prepare mentally to um, you know face the challenges of their of their sport. Um just that, on that as well you want to touch on like how head sport or the sport coach relates in in within that who reports all that stuff to them and stuff absolutely yeah so within that ist uh generally you'll have either an ist lead who the um who all the remember other members of the ist sort of report to and then that ist lead will report to the sport coach or in some cases the sport coach uh, wants is the ist lead which makes complete sense uh, as well you know that that we're there to uh we're there to assist that coach in uh performing their duties uh to to help improve that team or that athlete uh, so, you know, a lot of times you try to, you try to make sure that you're not like bombarding the sport coach with, uh, with every single thing that you think about. Um, and that's why it can be helpful to have someone who's designated either, um, either officially or unofficially as kind of the IST lead who, who can filter some stuff and then, and then go to the, to the sport coach with, uh, with whatever information you're bringing forward. Yeah, that's, uh, that's fantastic for that description of how, uh, IST works in um, obviously, you know, the most elite setting. Uh, we appreciate you breaking that down for us. So uh, just as we wrap up here, a couple of questions for you. One, I just want to know what you are curious or passionate about right now. Uh, and that could be, you know, <coughs> academic or career oriented or extracurricular, you know, something not related to the field. Well, um, I guess the thing that I'm, most passionate about right now would probably have to be my kids. <laughs> so I have, I do have three kids at home, um, as you know, Alan, but uh, none of the listeners would know that. Uh, so I've got, <laughs> I've got a, a seven-year-old uh, boy, a four-year-old girl, and a ten-month-old uh, baby boy at home. Um, you know, and I'm so I've I've gotten really into the coaching stuff, right? So I'm coaching the uh, the hockey team. I'm coaching the baseball team in the summer. 
Um, and it's been a lot of fun, uh, and it's really ch- challenged my ability to, uh, to coach. And I think it's made me a better coach in the, in the weight room. You know, when you have to really try to work hard to explain to a seven-year-old how to hit uh, a ball that's coming in at them, that's moving towards them when they've never seen anything like that before, or a six-year-old, um, you know, that it, it really makes force you to take a step back and think about, uh, think about what you're saying and how that's uh, getting interpreted by the person standing in front of you. And I think that's super applicable to, uh, to the job that that I have in the weight room every day. And I think um, from a more, I guess, professional standpoint, I kind of alluded to being really curious about, um, about how I can help know that I'm affecting uh, athletes uh, performance uh, in the field of play, not just in the weight room. And so I've actually been, Kind of looking into uh, pretty pretty seriously uh, some some PhD programs um, with gymnastics. I'm I've kind of I'm currently the project manager, but uh, for for a for a grant from Own the Podium to look into training loads for gymnastics and how that affects uh, performance and um, and and injury rates. So we're we're using uh, inertial measurement units or IMUs. Uh, which is a piece of wearable uh, technology that the, uh, the gymnasts can uh, put on uh, underneath their, their leotard, which is just, it's uh, like the size of a toonie. Uh, and it'll give us, uh, it'll give us impacts like number of impacts, magnitude of impacts, and also number and magnitude of spins and flips and rotations. So, you know, we're getting a really good idea of the, of this, of the training load from a, from an external loading standpoint. Uh, and that's something that I'm super into. So I'm hoping I can I can roll this project that we've already begun through my um, some of my colleagues at Dalhousie University, uh, Josh Gorham and Michelle Latasur, to uh, to turn this into a project of my own and kind of kind of take it to the next level myself. And I, you know, it, it'll take a lot for me to learn how to use these these units, learn how to um, collect and. Uh, synthesize that information, you know, it might take me uh, really getting digging into a, a piece of software like, like R or Python to analyze the data. But that's something that I, I think it's where I'm where I'd like to go uh, next. So that's something that I'm looking into right now. It's great. It's really fascinating. Um, all right, final question for you. Uh, do you have any book recommendations? Or what are you currently reading? Currently, uh, I am reading uh, MVP Machine, which is actually about the. It's funny because I just talked about the data and, and all that sort of stuff. So it's it's um, it's about the data revolution in baseball. Uh, it takes uh, a, a. It's sort of like the next step from Moneyball, the next step from Cubs Way and Astroball and all of those types of of books that talked a lot about how you can um, you know do a better job of either scouting and, and identifying players or change your tactics to, um, to help win games, where in, in MVP machine, they actually talk more and more about player development and how data uh, from a lot of these types of equipment that I'm talking about, just a little bit more specific to baseball, uh, can be used to develop players that you already have in your, in your system. And I think, you know, just the approaches that I'm hearing from, from some of the stories that are being told in this book are really, really applicable to whether it's uh, the work that I'm doing in the in the weight room or work that I'm kind of doing uh, with these decentralized athletes and all of the data that I'm that I'm bringing in, or hopefully in the future with with some of the projects that I'm I'm hoping to get involved in. Great, that's uh, really fascinating. I'll definitely have to check out that book. And thank you for the recommendation. Well, just wanted to thank you for your time and thank you for being a guest on the podcast today. I really enjoyed our talk. 
I hope our listeners learned some valuable insights on working in high-performance sport. All the best heading into this next Olympics, and take care. You're welcome, Alan. Thanks for having me, man. All right. Take care. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Scott Wilgris. If you did, please subscribe to our podcast and rate it using whatever streaming service you are listening on. You can also share this podcast with friends, connect with us on social media, or by email. If you have ideas for future episodes, topics you want to hear about, the contact links are in the show notes for each episode. Thank you so much again for listening, and we'll see you next time.